Hey, since it's uh, Pro-Life Sunday, I thought I'd bring some baby pictures. Yeah. Oh, really? I was expecting more than that. That's a cute kid, isn't it? Yeah. The picture here on the right, on, on your left, was taken in, in May of 1979. That's me. I like the hair. I was already worshiping Jesus, as you can tell. The picture here, uh, the other picture, the picture on your right, was taken in uh, 2006, the fall of 2006, and that's my firstborn. I asked her if I could use it, and uh, she, I, you did say yes, right? I don't remember if I got a text back or not <laughs> at this point. Several times throughout the course of like uh, their younger years, there would be a picture on the refrigerator, and somebody would come in and be like, oh, that's a really cute picture of Maddie. Where was it taken? And we would respond, oh, that's actually... Steve, you've heard the spitting image idea, right? Now, fortunately for her, I think as she's grown, she's gravitated more towards her mom, uh, fortunately for her, but the spitting image idea, and you can see that in that picture, like there's my daughter and there's my picture, do you look at it and you can imagine like that, that, that those two things would be confused. It's happened a few times in my life. One time, uh, somebody, one of the family members, not too long ago, gave me a, sent me a picture and it was a picture of me sitting on a bench, and next to me were, was an older couple who were kind of like grandparents growing up. And I was like in my 20s, and they were sitting on the bench there together with me, and I don't know the context. And so I was asking the person who gave me the picture, I was like, I don't remember this picture being taken. Where were we? And like, I, that's the Halfins, and I know we were like sitting together, but I don't remember this instance. Where was it? And they said, that's because that was your dad with them when he was in his 20s. And I, I literally am looking at the picture, I'm like, that's me. And they're like, no, that, that's your dad. One other uh, example, I went into, we went, we went home a few years ago, and I went into this little restaurant, tiny little restaurant. One of my relatives owns it, and we walked in to eat. And I walked in by myself. My mom was, like, out, and I walked in, just, just me. And the waitress is this older lady who I've never met in my life. And she walks up, and she looks at me, and she goes, if you're not Vince Imhoff's son, I don't know who you are. Like, I had never met the lady before, but I walked in, and she looked at me, and that's what was said. And even this morning, our friends Paul and Jan are here, and Paul said, no, from across the Sunday school room, okay, remind me which one's which. And I said, well, that one there is Charlotte. And he said, well, there's no denying her because she looks just like her mother, right? Like, we know what it means for our kids to, to look like us, right? They'll say, man, she really resembles you, or he really resembles you, and that's kind of cool. It's cool when your kids resemble you. It's a little bit different sometimes, though, when they reflect you, isn't it? Right? Sometimes your kids resemble you, but, man, a lot of times your kids reflect you, and that gets real scary. There's a phrase, you're just like your father. Now, that phrase can mean a few different things, can't it? Depending on the body language and the, like, the way that it's said. You're just like your father. You're just like your father, right? Your kid goes somewhere, does something really silly, and you say, well, they get that from their mother. That's what I say regularly. So, so your kids, our kids reflect us. They reflect good things about us. They reflect our good qualities. They also reflect some of our bad qualities and poor qualities. And then we send them out into the world. And not only are they reflecting us, but they're also representing us, aren't they? 
And that's when the reflecting gets really scary because you're like, you send them to the neighbor's house or to the friend's house or to the other church people's house, right? I got to talk to the Buzaks because last night, I don't know what happened, but hopefully they represented us well. But they go over to friend's house and you're like, oh, I know they're going to reflect me. Please represent me well, right? Those two ideas of reflecting and representing are what's tied into this idea of being created in the image of God that Genesis 1, 26 and 27 talks about. And if you haven't turned there already, I want you to go and look at it one more time. Because this is, again, this is like the foundation of what it means to be human. In these two verses, and last week we walked through the rest of creation, these two verses set aside what it means to be a human being versus all of the rest of God's creation. You'll notice that in all of the other acts of creations, and God said. But in 126, then God said, and in the other acts of creation, and God said, let there be light, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Like there's a difference in language that's used there to show that something a little bit different, something special is going on. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's divine dialogue. That's why it's plural there. It's the, we understand it as the plurality of the Godhead uh, having a conversation. And it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. In verse 27, so then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, we won't talk about that male and female part very much because it's controversial. And I don't want to be controversial, so we'll just let that go, right? No, we're going to give a whole message to that next week. I would invite you to come back, invite your friends back, set your DVR to come back. Uh, it should be good. But I want us to think about this image of God terminology. And the idea of what, what does that mean when the creation account in chapter 1, when we read it and everything else kind of seems to fall into place, and then we have something that looks a bit different when it says, let, God said, let us make man in our image. So I want to talk to you about what the image of God means, and I'm going to, this is kind of two parts. I want to unpack so we understand a little bit of like, what does that mean? If somebody walked up to you and said, what does this image of God thing mean? I want us to understand that a little bit, but then at the, the second part, I want to talk about like how that applies and why that's so foundational for so many of the different areas in our personal lives and in our culture that we're facing right now. So I'll put this a little kind of a, a definition or a summary. When we think about the image of God, here's some of the things that need to be going on in our minds. We need to be thinking about like that we as human beings are unique. Now, you look at your spouse and you think, man, unique right? And that unique might be really good, or that unique might be really unique. But we are unique as people. When, when the Bible talks about us being created in the image of God, it's the uniqueness of human persons, which sets us apart from the rest of creation. And then look at the next piece that allows us to reflect God's attributes and act as his representatives. So there's this reflecting and representing aspect, an idea when it's talking about image. Now, we understand some things about image from our culture because everybody has a cell phone and we can just take images, take images, take images, take pictures, right? And it's the exact representation of whatever the thing is that you were taking a picture. Unless you're like my kids and you take a picture of your parents and then you use those crazy filters and make them look like idiots, okay? 
But we'll use that as an illustration in just a few minutes. But in that day, remember, they didn't have pictures and cameras and phones and all of that kind of stuff. And so the image was something that they used that to, to give people an idea of the thing that it was representing. Okay? And so there's an aspect of reflecting God's attributes and representing God as a person when we start to talk about those things. And another piece of this that's important is to know that this is like holistic Different people throughout the ages have, have had different ideas of what image of God means. So, so some people said that image of God was just kind of like your physical likeness. As a matter of fact, some cults still believe that. That just like the physical, when I look at myself physically, that's image of God. Well, God is spirit. So there's, it's not just a physical thing. Uh, some people have said it's relational. That the image of God, that, that God has relationship within the Trinity, and so relationship is what the image of God is. Some people have said it's like moral. There's been different ideas. But what we need to think is we need to think holistic. So holistically, like I have a spiritual aspect to my life. How did I get that? Where did it come from? Why is it that everybody has some conception of God and eternity and spiritual things? That's a piece of being created in the image of God. There's moral aspect to it as well. That the fact that we understand right and wrong. And even if we want to relativize right and wrong, everybody has a standard of right and wrong. Everybody has like a line that you can't cross. Even the most, quote, tolerant person has some standard of morality, right? So that's a piece of the image of God. The intellectual side, our ability to think and reason, and the emotional side, our ability to feel things. And I think even there is a physical aspect, and there's a relational aspect. But one of the things we need to discern is that when we talk about being created in the image of God, this is more about who we are than it is about the things that we do. Okay? That, that being created in the image of God is about inherently and innately who we are as human beings, not just about the things that we do. Uh, people are unique. We've been called the capstone of God's creation. And again, like sometimes you look around, maybe you go to Seattle and you're like, like that's the best that God could do, right? Like, wow, really? But I think it's really important that we build this Imago Dei, this image of God theology, to understand that this extends to all people. So image of God is not a Christian thing. Image of God is different than being saved. The image of God is different than being sanctified. That the image of God extends to all human beings. Even the ones that you look at and you think, I don't know what happened there, right? We don't get more of the image of God as we grow in our relationship with God or get less of the image of God as we, get, you know, as we sin and do things like that. Certainly that that image gets distorted. We'll talk about that in a second. But the first thing that we understand is that all people possess the image of God inherently by the fact that they are created. Let me ask you this. Does that change the way that we view other people? Like, does that change the way that we look at people who look different than us and act different than us and dress different than us and think differently than we do. The image of God is innate and inherent within the human person. Really interesting because as we read this text, you know, you've probably read this lots and lots of times and we come to it and we're like, all right, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image and we think that's pretty cool. 
remember last week I talked to you about, like, we have to think about what the people who originally read this would have understood. So in almost all other ancient Near Eastern cultures outside of the Bible, there was an image of God concept. Like, everybody knew something about, quote, image of God. They just had a very different view of it. It's interesting because in most of those other cultures, and so if you think, like if you watch the National Geographic, like Egyptology documentaries, or you've ever read Greek mythology or different things like that, you realize like they had their, their gods, right? But in all of those different ancient Near Eastern cultures, what would happen is that they had like pharaohs or kings, and the thought usually went like this, that the uh, the deity, the god, came down and breathed or uh, uh, imputed his essence of being God into that king, step one. So then the king took on like a godlike quality because they thought that the deity, the God, breathed his godness into that human king. Does that sound familiar at all? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God formed man from the dust of the ground and he did what? Breathe the breath of life into him. That wasn't just like a, a new and novel concept that Moses made up, actually. Like, all of those ancient cultures and contexts had some idea that that's what happened, is that the deity filled the king with his godness. And then step two, then that newly empowered king slash god was able to go and represent that god to the people. And he ruled as deity. That's why in all of these ancient Near Eastern contexts, the king or the pharaoh was known as the image of God, and they worshipped that person as deity. Didn't God say in verse one, chapter 1, verse 26, 26 for, for man to have dominion and rule and represent? Both of those two pieces are parallel between those other cultures and what we see in the creation account. But there's one really incredible major difference. In each of those other contexts, the God breathed into the man, into the king. The king got some, like, godness and then went out as God and represented God on earth. But that was only given to the king. There was only a status and privilege that was ever given to a king or to a pharaoh. That's why they built pyramids to the pharaohs. That's why they did lavish burial processes with these kings. When Genesis says, let us make man in in our own image, he's saying that every created human is royalty. That every created human is equal. In that day, the pharaoh was God. And you worshiped the pharaoh as God. And if you got called to die for the pharaoh, that was even better. But God said, no, we are all kings. We are all queens. We are all equal in that way. Wherever that earthly king wanted to establish his authority, do you know what he did? They didn't have Fox News back then. I know it's a shock to a few of us today, but they didn't have Fox News back then. They didn't have social media back then. They couldn't put up posters and say, this is who this God king is. So they took their image and they put it on different places. Like they created an image that looked like them in some way that was to go out and to reflect them and was to represent them. And wherever that king or pharaoh wanted to have authority in his realm, he sent out his image. Hang on a minute. If I'm the image of God and you're the image of God and everybody in this room is the image of God, does that mean that we have some responsibility as well? Absolutely. 
that's tied into this idea of the image of God. The image of God also means, when you read that, the image of God means that we have communion with God. That God wants to have a relationship with people, right? Like you are known by God. He wants to know you. And we should want to know him as well. All of those things are, create, are, are a piece of what it means to, to have the image of God. You get up in the morning, you haven't put your makeup on yet, ladies. Guys, you haven't done whatever it is that we guys do in the morning and nobody knows. And you look in the mirror, right? And you think, can you imagine if you wrote that on your image of God? You get up in the morning and you're like, I haven't even had coffee yet, like, right? As we talk about this, as we think about like, what it means to be the image of God, to, to reflect God and to represent God, what should be coming to all of our minds is, yeah, well, what went wrong, right? And I'm not just talking about like eye boogies and nastiness in the morning, am I? That if man was created in the image of God to reflect God's attributes as best that man possibly can, and we were created to be God's representatives on earth, like, what went wrong? There's this little three-letter word called sin. Lauren talked about it over here in the uh, workshop time this morning. We'll get to it when we get to Genesis chapter 3. But in the fall, because of sin, the image of God was distorted. Now, I didn't think about it until right now, and I really could have done it. But the girls will take a picture of me, and they'll use some weird, like, filter. And it makes my face go, like, crazy. Right? Parents, have you experienced this with your kids? And that's why they can't have social media accounts. <laughs> Amen. Right? Because that stuff's getting posted online and it never comes back. But that image gets distorted. It doesn't do what it's supposed to. It does not reflect me. I don't look like that. Right? That doesn't represent me well when it goes out all over social media. No. Sin does the same thing with the image of God. It distorts. Now, we don't lose the image of God. Sin didn't destroy the image of God in people. It, we don't lose that image of God. But what it does is it definitely, like, distorts it. Let me tell you, that's what's so really so sad as we get into applying this and getting practical with it. That's what's really so sad about some of these uh, different things that are going on right now where people are physically changing their body where people are changing their gender. And I won't give away too much from next week because we'll talk about this. But this is not sad just because of what it's doing to that person. It's sad because of what it's doing to the image of God. And not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually and morally. All of those things. It's all wrapped up in the fact that we were created in God's image to reflect Him and to be His representatives. And so any kind of sin distorts and damages one of the ways that people talk about image of God is that we were created to mirror God. As if we had a mirror, and we were the mirror, and we were supposed to reflect God to everyone else. And you can think about then that, that sin is like a hammer that just cracks the mirror. And maybe it doesn't completely shatter, but it's really hard to see what it's really supposed to see, right? That's what sin does. Guys, the carnage and the chaos and the mess, the craziness that we see in the world is because sin is distorting the image of God. All of the stuff that we see happening related to, again, to gender and to racial issues and to uh, human rights issues and so many other things are related to image of God issues. So how we think about this really drives 
so much of like how we think about some of the cultural issues that are going on that are happening right now before we get into applying some of the practicalities of this though, think about this if we were created in the image of god but sin distorts that image then comes the restoration of the image of god and how does that happen that can only happen through the the person who was the perfect image of god who is the perfect image of god the god the son jesus christ who came and took on human flesh Jesus is how the image of God is restored. That is a piece of the gospel. That when you accept Christ, that that Christ was and is God eternally. That he came in the form of a man, took on human flesh in the incarnation. That he died in our place for our sins. And he rose again and defeated sin. That the restoration of the image of God is then available. And that's how the process starts. And so when I become a Christian, I start that restoration process. Now, is it perfect? Do I woke up, wake up day one and look in the mirror and think, perfect image of God? No, absolutely not, right? But that process begins. So if you're not a Christian, that's like step one. You were created in the image of God. Sin has distorted that image. The restoration process begins by you accepting Christ as your Savior. That restoration process will be a work in progress until the second coming of Christ. Right? And part of that, the end times and all the things we think about with that, is the restoration, full restoration of the image of God. So all of those are pieces of, that we think about when we think about the foundation of humanity, us being created in God's image. Now... I'll turn the page in my notes to the more controversial side of things. Is that okay? Let's talk about why that's important. If we're created to reflect God and we're, refla- we're created to be his representatives, and this thing like matters for all of, of what we do in life, I'll give you three different ways that I think this places that this impacts and is important. The first one is the sanctity of life. Okay? Sanctity of life means the sacredness of human life. We believe that all life is sacred. Okay? That applies to, to how we look at abortion. Okay? We're pro-life because we... Okay, let me say it this way. I'm not pro-life just because I think, I believe that life begins at conception. I'm not pro-life just because I think that life begins at conception. I'm pro-life because I believe that the image of God begins at conception. Okay? That's a change in the way that we think. Because a non-Christian can think that life begins at conception and can have a whole different reason for being pro-life. The image of God begins at conception. I value human life that begins at at conception. We defend human life beginning at conception. That's a change in in our thinking. We don't fight abortion just because we want more babies around. We love babies. I love, like, everybody else's babies now, right? Like, I'm good. What we need to see is that, that abortion is not just a thing that we're against because of, 
like the atrocities are do we hate the atrocities do we believe that abortion is murder i do okay i will stand here and i will say that i believe that that's true but what i want us to see is that i think that the biggest atrocity is that the image of god is being murdered that the image of god is being destroyed in that so absolutely we're against abortion and it's it's because for me a theology of the image of god go to the other side of life what about the way that we treat the elderly and i will let you define that as you see fit right i didn't put an age number up there <laughs> or a hair number up there right but here's something that I'm, I'm i am convinced of that as a culture we value productivity and sometimes because we value productivity, we don't value people who become, quote, less, what we see, less productive. I think that the American culture and really the first world culture in general has done a really poor job of respecting elderly people and people as they continue to age and people as maybe it seems that they don't have as much value because they can't produce as much and they, quote, don't have as much to offer. I hate that. And every birthday, I hate it a little bit more right yeah but it's funny because the like as a young guy driven guy productive 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 now as they get older i'm like respect older people but why because we want to be nice because we want to be kind because we want to be caring all of the things yes but fundamentally it's because i believe that whether you're an infant or you're 97 years old that you were born and you are still created in the image of God that all of those frailties and all of those pains and all of those frustrations and all of those different kinds of things you carry around the image of God right it might be hard to get out of bed in the morning but you carry the image of God and here's the thing for some of you you think like my time is done I'm kind of like coasting to the end no you're not we need you I love the fact, Laura and I talk about this all the time, man. We love the fact that there are so many little kids in this church and that there are so many of you who have been around here for 40, 50, 60 years. That's incredible because we need that diversity here. Because it helps us to understand that the image of God isn't like this 18 to 25-year-old perfect person that can do anything physically, Right? image of God includes wisdom and I was an idiot when I was 25 years old like ask my wife she's in the nursery ask her later was he an idiot she'll say he's still an idiot but he was a bigger idiot then amen but the way I understand the image of God if you're 85 90 95 years old some of you may be watching online because you can't even get here I need you to know that you still are God's representative that you still reflect God, and we all need to see that. Amen? So you're valued. That also includes people who are at end of life, at whatever stage of life they're in, but they're at end of life. We're in a unique situation right now as a family where two people who are really valuable to us are in end of life stage places, like with, with cancer. One could be days and one maybe months, but we know that it's happening. And they're two different places one is older and one is younger. And what I'm here to say is that they carry the image of God. And because of that, they're valuable and they're worthy of being cared for through the end of life. 
You see, Christians have traditionally been the people, you want to talk about abortion, like before we had abortion clinics and all of those kind of things, back in the day they did something called exposure. You had a kid and it had a deformity, you didn't want the kid, it was the wrong gender, you took it out in the woods and you just sat it down and walked away. That happened all the time. That happened especially in the Roman culture. And Christians were the people who went into the woods and found the babies and brought them out. Same thing for for end-of-life care. Like Christians have always been there and been the people who have cared for these people. People with disabilities, whether they're physical disabilities, mental disabilities, whatever. People with disabilities. Christians should be caring for those people. Why? Because all of those people are created in the image of God. And it it affects, and, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but it affects the way that we do social activities. Because we actually believe that those people are carrying around the image of God, and so we have a responsibility to continue to care for, for those people. All human life is sacred. Not just the productive human life, not just the attractive human life, not just the wanted human life. All human life is sacred. Okay? And here's maybe a funny illustration to think, help us to think about that. Okay? A couple Sundays ago, we had to take the dog to the emergency room. He's eight pounds. Some people say he's a cat, but he's got a better attitude, so he's a dog. (laughs) When you take your dog to the emergency room, okay, when I take my dog to the emergency room, you know what question I lead off with? How much? Right? A few years ago, my wife had to take me to the emergency room to get my appendix removed. You know what I was hoping she didn't ask, Mark? Right? Right? You see, I take my wife to the emergency room. I take my kids to the emergency room. I'm leading off with help, right? Help. I take my dog to the emergency room. I'm leading off with how much? Because if it's too much, it's been nice knowing you. (laughs) It's been fun. I'll get a little box. We'll do the whole thing, right? I got a backyard. It's okay. But when my wife takes me to the emergency room, if she leads off with, "Uh, how much is it going to be? We've got some big decisions to make. That's a problem. Why? Because inherently, we all understand that all life is sacred. All life is, all human life is sacred and is different. Like this, I'm a pet parent thing. Okay, I won't go there. Good. The image of God relates to the sanctity of life, but it also relates to the significance of life. And I want you to hear this for yourself personally. The significance of life. One of the great questions that all people have is, what does it mean to be human? Or maybe quoted, stated a different way, who am I? The answer to that question is fundamentally rooted in image of God. You see, we are called human beings for a reason, but we act like human doings more than human beings, don't we? Our value and our worth and our significance and our identity doesn't come first from what we do, but it comes from who we are. And who we are is created in the image of God. Whatever distortion that is, whatever the things that we've done to ourselves or others have done to us to distort, to break, to pervert, to mess up that image, we still carry the image of God. And that's where your identity comes from. I grew up as a young man thinking that all my identity came from my performance. How did I perform on a basketball court? How did I perform on a soccer field? How did I perform in a classroom? 
And one of the things that God had to work on my heart and continues to work on my heart, because now it's just a different set of issues, right? How am I performing as a parent? How am I performing as a pastor? How are, yeah. I think God's always working on my heart is that my identity is inherent in my humanity. It's not, it doesn't come from my performance. It's not derived from how good I am at something. You realize how freeing that is. Some of you carry around these deep-seated issues of identity because your whole life you've been trying to measure up. You've been trying to measure up to mom or trying to measure up to dad or trying to get someone to be proud of you. And I want you to be free from that. Like that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Man, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because I am a child of God. I'm created in the image of God. Like, that goes a long way towards starting to work on and unpack some of our identity and value and worth issues. You know what else it does? It keeps us from seeking identity in the wrong places. And this is one of the problems and the struggles that I have with so much of secular psychology that is, like, man-focused. That your identity comes from not your need of everybody else or your performance for everybody else, but you just need to actualize yourself. You guys, we're not going to fix our identity issues and so we work on our image issues and i'm not talking about my image of how i feel about myself i'm talking about the image of how god sees me god created you in his image god sees you as that does it hurt god when we distort his image absolutely but we're still created in his image i showed you that picture up there for a reason right that young lady is always going to carry the image of dad around with her for better or for worse right and her value in my eyes has nothing to do with how nice she is, how kind she is, how good she is, how well she does on her grades or any of those things. It all comes from the fact that she's mine. She belongs to me. She's reflecting me. You're a child of God. That's where your identity comes from. It's where your significance comes from. The third piece that again might be a little more controversial is, is that I believe that, that not only does this image of God thing affect the way that we look at the sanctity of life and, and our significance in life but it also really impacts the way that we do life in society like in this world that we live in in our culture and some of the things that are going on and I'm going to give you some specific examples the fact that I'm created in the image of God and that all people are created in the image of God impacts how we approach social justice. Now, social justice is a, a big issue right now. Caring for the poor, people, caring for people who are hungry, careful, caring for people who are physically and emotionally hurting. And social justice is important. Anyone can do social justice. But when I look at that from the perspective of, Im, of the image of God, it changes things. Because rather than just giving handouts, when I see somebody in the image of God, I realize that they have dignity, and the most dignifying thing I can do is not just give them a handout. Did you know that giving somebody a handout doesn't do anything to bring dignity? But when I give them a hand up, that shows their dignity. That gives them dignity. Social justice isn't just about giving people handouts, but it is about providing a hand up. It is about saying, you know what, if we're going to fix some of these issues, we have to think about not just how we can pour more money into the system, but how can we help people get back on their feet? And I understand that that is a huge task. 
right? You start to talk about mental illness and the homeless issues and some of those things. Man, I understand that even in the city of Puyallup and some of the people that we're talking to, like, I get that that is a huge issue. But I believe that the image of God impacts how we go after that issue. Because we want to acknowledge the dignity that's supposed to be there if they're really in the image of God. And I don't want to try to fix the problem in a way that's just going to like be even less dignifying. You just keep pouring money into the system and just keep pouring food into people's lives and we don't acknowledge image of God and help them help themselves out. The most dignifying thing I could do for a homeless person is to help them get back on their feet and then have them as a a productive member of society. That's dignifying. That's honoring the image of God in their lives. So that's social justice. What about racial equality? That's kind of a big deal right now. Have you noticed that? Like there's a lot of stuff in the news about racism and racial equality. We hate racism. Do you know why? Because racism directly attacks the image of God. Racism directly attacks the fact that all people are created in God's image. That they're there to, here to reflect God. That they're here to represent God. And the amazing thing is that when we get a picture of what this world looks like and all the differences in races and ethnicities, it gives us such a broader understanding of who our God is. Like, he created all that, right? He didn't just create this, like, homogenous group of American people. Like, all over the world. When we use race... I have to read this because I want to make sure we really get it right. When we use race to subversively push a liberal agenda, okay, you know what I'm talking about? When we use a slogan and we use this idea of race to subversively push a social, liberal social agenda, we're not honoring the image of God, even in the people that we say that we're trying to help. As a Christian, we believe that all lives matter. And all lives matter because they're made in the image of God. Not because I have some agenda to destroy the nuclear family and I found a way that I can bring something else over the top of it and lay it over that and make it look good. Okay? We need to think biblically about this stuff as Christians because I see too many Christians like flying these flags and raising these banners and then you go on the website for said organization. It's a, it is a, a stated purpose to destroy the nuclear family. Do you know where the nuclear family comes from? Genesis 1 and 2. And we have to think biblically about these things. I've got a really good friend. He's an American-African. Because he was born in Africa and he spent most of his life from his teen years here in America. And he wrote a little book. Uh, Norm knows him. Uh, the book is called uh, The Real Cure for Racism. And my buddy James, like I was in the room when a white man threatened his life. Okay? Like I heard the phone call come in. I heard the words that were said. Some of you have heard that story before. But James says that when we, James, my friend, not James in the Bible. He'd probably agree. So it's all right. But my friend says, man, one of the things that happens, it's, it's actually more racist when you take, like, the issue of racism and use that as, like, a, a way to push your own agenda. It's actually hurting, James says, as a, a black man in America, he says, that, that's actually hurting me more. 
So what I want us to do is see that all people are created in the image of God. Right? It also affects the way that we treat people who think differently with regard to this gender issue. And again, next week is a whole week on that. But in case, like, you don't come back for whatever strange reason, you wouldn't come back. But in case you don't come back, the issue is this. Like, we don't hate people who think differently than we do on this issue. Man, this is so important. We don't hate them, but we do hurt for them. Because I believe God has something better for them. I believe God has something better for all of us, and it's called being made in the image of God, being created in His image. Right? And if somebody's created in God's image, and I see them actively distorting that image, it is the least loving thing that I can do to just let them keep going and doing that. And that applies to so many of these different issues. Right? One more specific one is the hashtag MeToo movement. Right? I've got three daughters. I care immensely about these things. But what I don't want to do is just identify victims. I want to create victors. And my concern with some of these movements is that all we do is just create more victims instead of helping people have victory. And victory is found in when we understand that we're created in the image of God and nothing that's been done or done to, that we've done or that's been done to us can take that away from us. That we have inherent dignity because of that. This stuff impacts how we do all of life. One of the great passions, probably the greatest passion in my life as it pertains to ministry is opening this word and helping us to develop a coherent biblical worldview, okay? If you're new and you're like, when do we get to talk about three steps for me to get rich? See me later, I'll give you a list of some churches and anyway, right? But seriously, why? I want to help us understand and create a coherent biblical worldview. The phrase that I picked up when I was in college and has been like the thing for me ever since is think biblically, live intentionally. Right? Think biblically, live intentionally. Guys, that's what this is all about. We think biblically about the foundation of everything, God. We think biblically about the foundation of life and creation. We think biblically about the foundation of humanity and being created in God's image. Then we can start living intentionally, and it applies and is practical to all of these different areas of life. That's way better than getting a few extra bucks in your bank account, right? Uh Uh-oh, I got work to do. Yes, it absolutely is. Thank you very much. I want us to think biblically. One of the ways that we're helping you do that is we're we're trying to provide some extra resources. Again, on the front page of the website, it says discussion questions for today. You can click on that. There's discussion questions and a bunch of extra resources. We want to continue to think. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship together by singing a couple more songs. God, thank you again for your word. Thankful that we can take strong stands on tough issues, not because we have an opinion, but because we have the truth of your word. In the days ahead, I pray that you would help us as church leaders to continue to think about how that applies to specific areas in life. God, that we would think well, think clearly, most importantly, that we would think biblically. That for anyone who's going to call this church home, that we would be serious about the way that we think about these issues, and especially how we think about ourselves having been created in your image. God, there's somebody here today who's hurting, and I pray that this understanding that they're created in your image would comfort them 
There's someone here today, God, who's doing things who are distorting deeply. We're all doing it. But someone is here who is deeply distorting the image of God. And I pray that you would bring them to repentance and acceptance of your son Jesus for their salvation. God, as we worship today, help us to worship knowing that you love us, you care for us, and that we're significant. In Jesus' name, amen.